Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. This is the program. If you've been a regular listener, you know our tagline here is eternal business, real life. This is the program where we love to bridge that gap between faith and business and leadership in the marketplace. We get an opportunity. In fact, it is a privilege and a blessing to travel the country. Sometimes, literally, we get on an airplane and travel the country. Sometimes, like today, we travel the country with the marvel of technology to interview guests who are Christ followers, business leaders, entrepreneurs, uh, occasionally the athlete, but the high-capacity leader who is living out their faith. They have two things in common, each of our guests. They love Jesus, and they're working and seeking to live out their faith in the marketplace. So welcome to today's program. I'd like to welcome our guest from Gilbert, Arizona. This is a, a phone-in uh, conversation today. We're going to be speaking with Grant Botma, who's an author and founder. His company is called Stewardship. Actually, there's multiple companies here. And Grant, um, a program that is in the Inc.'s fastest, uh, 5,000 fastest growing companies in America, we're going to learn all about Grant, his company, Stewardship, and his book. We're going to spend some time today discussing his book. I love this title. Check it out, folks. The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck, subtitle, How to Attract Top Talent and Build a Thriving Company Culture. Grant, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Oh, thank you for having me, Ray. It's, a, it's an honor to be here and love the, the intro to this show and uh, the heart behind what you're trying to do for the audience. This is going to be beautiful. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Great. Give us just a little bit of framework, your background, um, how you came to Christ, and then how and why you started your firm. Yeah, so I, um, I'm in the middle of seven kids that grew up on a farm out in uh, Arizona, and uh, it was a little town called Buckeye, which is way out west. Uh, as you would get closer on the I-10 driving towards California, and uh, growing up in the middle of seven kids, we went to church every Sunday and Wednesday like a good Christian reform family does. And um, I, I came to know of the Lord uh, through my family, my parents uh, who loved me and who loved the Lord and uh, taught me about his ways and his teaching. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to a very small Christian grade school as well. Uh, that said, there was some, some uh, life happened, as, as you would say. Uh, both my parents uh, they struggled with, with alcoholism. Uh, mm. My parents got, got divorced uh, when I was in junior high, and life got really weird. Um, I, I went from, from growing up and working on the farm, uh, ended up basically at a point in junior high where uh, it's, it's living with a single mom, my mother, while my father was incarcerated and um, trying to figure things out. And uh, if it wasn't for the amazing, wonderful people who 
who came around us, loved us, supported us, whether it be through the church or through uh, the Christian school that we were going to. Uh, I probably wouldn't be where I am today, but I'm grateful for many of those older men who poured into my life and uh, pursued me and loved me. Um, but it was them that, that showed me physically what, what Christ's love looked like. Uh, so it took some of the, the things that I was learning from school and, and saw what it was in action. And um, as I went through high school, um, and you know, I had a relationship that, that fell apart as every 18-year-old kid thinks, you know, he's going <laughs> to get married to this girl and it didn't work out. And I was like, man, what do I do now? And I actually picked up the Bible and read it for the, for the first time on my own, not as a textbook, not as a, as a Bible memory work, but something I just wanted to read to learn more. And mm-hmm. I was blown away, Ray. I was like, it says what? Are you kidding me? And uh, I immediately uh, I looked up. It was the first time I ever used Google. But I, after reading, I went right to my computer. because I was living in an apartment on my own at the time and Googled uh, Bible colleges. I didn't know if that was a thing, but I wanted to know if there was a college where I can learn more about the Bible. And sure enough, there was one just down the road from my apartment. So I left my computer running, probably left the door to my apartment wide open and just walked down there and showed up on campus and said, hey, I want to learn more about the Bible. You guys do that here? Sure do. Great. Wow. Sign me up. You know? And they were like, well, school starts in a week. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, just made it all happen and ended up uh, going to a small Bible college where I was able to learn even more about God's word and build a relationship with him. So. Uh, and, and so how, how did that, it sounds like, you know, God allowed you to come through a pretty some challenges right as a kid family issues and such and then come into a relationship with him how did that background and that experience end up um kind of playing a role in you starting your firm stewardship yeah so um i was able to see finances impact my family on a number of different levels my father i don't know all the details but but he was he lost his dairy he lost his farm uh, probably for a number of different reasons but one of them was financial uh, and, and I know that he wasn't always the best with finances. There are definitely some economic things that happened uh, that, that but the dairy business and the price for milk went way down and that impacted things. But also my mom, I mean, there were times where, you know, I'm literally counting how many microwavable burritos we have left in the freezer to make sure that we don't eat up all the food before my mom gets paid again. Uh, we were, you know, during the summertime, my mom worked for the school during the summertime, there really wasn't a ton of income. And we had to walk down to the park in central Phoenix where we were living at the time to, to take part in the meal program to get, to get a meal. Uh, so we, we lived on, on kind of, I was able to grow up on two ends of the spectrum when finances were really going great. And then when finances weren't so good too. So I saw how financial decisions can dramatically impact not only an individual's life, but an individual relationship with other people. And that was uh, obviously very important to me growing up through that. Um, then I, now fast forward into college, uh, I'm, I'm now working as uh, a mortgage loan originator for a company. And one thing that I kept seeing was, was these mortgage professionals, they were selling uh, mortgage products to people that weren't in best for them. And it was putting people in really bad situations. They, they were quite literally putting families in bad spots just so they could get a couple hundred bucks extra of commission. And I was just like, what's going on here, you know, and, and, and really struggled with that. And I would see these families come back to the company months or years later saying, hey, now we need to refinance because we're getting a divorce. Or, hey, yeah. now we're in an even tougher financial situation. I need more money equity on my house. Can you rescue me out of it? 
I just said, man, there's gotta be a better way. Um, and uh, through that, I, I um, was going to the, the, the Bible college, it's Arizona Christian University. Now it was called Southwestern Bible College then. And uh, kind of put this plan to start this company that I have stewardship. And really the goal was to create a place where people get their finances handled the best way possible, whether they knew it or not. Okay. So thank I appreciate that. And so stewardship, if I understand right, is actually comprised of a few companies. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction of your bio, uh, Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing companies. Tell us a little bit about the overall diversity in the portfolio for stewardship. Yeah. So the way that we tell people, uh, there's a header on our website, is we help people with home loans, insurance, and investments with wisdom and love. Uh, so basically, it's four separate entities, uh, stewardship mortgage, stewardship insurance, stewardship financial, and stewardship planning. So we're a mortgage brokerage, insurance agency, financial planning firm, and investment advisory as well. And those are the, the current set of companies that we have. But from the beginning, when I was in college creating this plan, you know, it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to help people with, with home loans. I wanted to help people with every area of their finances because I could see that every area of finances was important to people. And sadly, our society doesn't really set people up to win. Uh, a lot of people graduate high school and they're lucky if they know how to balance a checkbook, you know, let alone go get insurance that they're legally required to have to go drive a car down the road. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to set up a company of wise advisors that'd be able to love people well through these financial services. Well, Grant, that's, uh, it's very sad, really, when we take a step back and take a look at what's going on in our country, you know, America, uh, the wealthiest nation, you know, on planet Earth and those sorts of things. Why, in your experience and from your perspective, why do we do such a poor job or how is it that we go about doing such a poor job in educating our young people around the area of finances and stewardship? What's going wrong here? Well, I think it's two things. One, we like to overcomplicate things that don't need to be overcomplicated. Um, you, the, the, the truth behind managing money and winning with finances is simple. Um, but the hard part is it's not easy. And that's the second part where I think we, we have issues. Uh, really, if I break it down, I, I think the reason why it's not easy and why we struggle as a society with finances is just our sin nature. Uh, selfishness is tough to overcome on a day-in and day-out basis. And uh, many times our actions and our decisions and our mindset um, is clouded with that sin nature of selfishness and it can impact our finances. Now, that's not to say if you're in financial hardship that you're a sinner. Well, you are a sinner. We're all sinners and need Jesus, but it doesn't mean it's just your sin that brought you there. But I think it's our sin and selfishness that creates a society uh, that makes it harder for us uh, to succeed uh, with our finances. Yeah, and we, we we see um we see so much the impact of this with with young people today, um you know, and we could have point to all sorts of reasons why, but the amount of student debts, which is frankly unsustainable, we just got to change some things here. Um, having kids coming out, you know, entering life without an understanding of finances, up over their heads in debt, and so forth, and so. I, I, and I want to get into in a moment about some of the principles and concepts in your book, but what advice would you have for the young person listening to this conversation who's maybe early in their career, early in establishing kind of their way of life? What, what advice or insight would you have for them uh, at this point? Have a plan and seek wise counsel to get that plan. 
Uh, it's exactly what Proverbs talks to us about. And um, one way that you can seek wise advice on, is, is just follow me on Instagram. Almost every day, Ray, I am putting out a, an Instagram story where I talk to people about finances or I'm talking about company culture. As a matter of fact, two weeks ago, I did an entire week on a series for people in college on how to set up their finances so that they'll be okay whenever they leave college. And uh, so if you follow me on Instagram, it's at Grant Botma. Uh, you're going to see uh, some, some free financial education on a daily basis. Uh, but the answer to your question is just that. Go get a plan and uh, get some wise advice to make sure that that plan is legitimate. Too often, we're just kind of drifting to a destination with our finances rather than designing uh, a destination that we want to arrive at. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, folks, uh, that was at Grant Botma, B-O-T-M as in Mary A. At, on the, and uh, follow him. Learn, learn some of these lessons and principles. And thank you for sharing that. So, Grant, can we transition a little bit? Uh, I want to talk about maybe some of the, the things that in your career that you have seen that work in terms of living out your faith. What, what would be um, a biblical principle or two that you have been able to leverage, to um, you know, use, to master, whatever the case may be? Give us a biblical principle or two that really drive how you go about doing your work. Yeah, I'd say um, it's starting with the understanding that work is worship. Uh, We were created to work. Uh, Too often, I think people believe that um, we only have to work because of the fall of man, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's not not true. If If you look through Genesis, we were actually created to work first and um, and we're created to worship the Lord. So work is an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity to worship God. So if I'm going to be intentional with worshiping the Lord in my work, um, then I need to be very intentional with my actions throughout the day while I'm working. And it really sets the precedent, right, to make sure that not only my mind and my head and my heart are in the right spot, but my actions are aligned with those. And uh, that's, that's been a big, big principle that um, I, I do my best to live by on a daily basis. And the cool part is it not only makes your work great, uh, but, but it grows your relationship with the Lord. Uh, it's, it, it becomes um, an opportunity uh, to communicate with him, uh, to share with him, and uh, to thank him. It creates a grateful heart um, and an opportunity to, to show my gratitude uh, with, with my efforts on a daily basis. I love that. And, and uh, well, none of us, of course, are perfect. None of us have formed the perfect company, the perfect culture. You're really quite intentional about trying to create an environment in your own company uh, where the framework for the culture is built on biblical principles and so forth. Just share with our audience maybe some of the, the, the practices, the best practices, or some of the methodologies that you uh, leverage in attempting to build a Christ-honoring culture in your company? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I talk about in my book, I believe that the most important thing a company culture has to have is a purpose, and I call it a unified purpose. This is a not just a statement, but a thing that everybody's able to act on on a daily basis that unifies them. It's something that must require sacrifice. It must require selflessness. And it, it, it brings a team together. It, it makes your work important. It makes your work matter that the work that the team is doing actually makes a positive impact on people's lives. And um, 
having a unified purpose is a big deal and how that I align that with biblical principles is with my own kind of life purpose. If we, we look through scripture, uh, the, the church has done a great job of identifying a very important piece of scripture in the Great Commission, right? This is one of the last things that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. And if I break down the Great Commission, go and make disciples to all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I try to think, okay, well, what's the most important word and the most important thing said by the most important being to ever come to the earth? Well, some people would say go, right? Or baptize mm-hmm. or disciple. Those mm-hmm. are action words, right, right? Well, if you break it down grammatically, and this is where I get real nerdy, um, the, the, the subject is them. It's not even a complete statement or sentence without the word them. Who are you going to them? Who are you baptizing them? Who are you making disciples of them? And uh, when I look back on Jesus' life, he made his entire life about other people. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. He made his whole life about them. So to me, that means my life needs to be about them. My life needs to be about loving them with everything I've got. And that's my life's purpose statement. So the leader of every business has to tie their unified purpose of their business with what their purpose is in their life. And for me, the purpose in life is loving people the same way Jesus has. And that's why our unified purpose at stewardship is to love people through finances. Uh, so I think that's one of the, the bigger things that people have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's a great segue into, uh, I'd love to t- spend a few minutes talking about the, the book that you've authored. Um, I, I mentioned it in the opening uh, comments on, of the program, but it says, it, the title of it is, The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck, and it's How to Attract Top Talent and Build a Thriving Company Culture. First of all, fascinating title. What led you of all topics that you could have written about? Um, what led you to this? Kind of how did this book come about? Oh, man, it's an accident, to be honest. I, I didn't <laughs> uh, intend for it to be this way, but as stewardship grew and we started winning awards and, and getting noticed, um, I was being asked to speak at events. And when I would speak at events, people would ask me, hey, you know, what, what is it? Why is it that you guys are, are doing and winning the way that you do? And I, I, oftentimes it just comes down to our team. Our team is awesome. So I was, I was asked to speak about company culture at all kinds of different events. Well, then my a personal assistant one day says, hey, Grant, you're, you're speaking at events too much. Can't, can't get anything done over here. So you're going to need to change your calendar. Um, I'm like, okay, I can do that. But I, I don't want to stop helping and encouraging others. I, I, I want to keep making an impact in this way. And uh, she introduced me to this thing called online courses. So I created an online course where, where people could learn about uh, their company uh, to create an awesome company culture. And somebody went through the, the, the course that was working for a publisher and reached out to me and said, hey, you should make a book. And I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, and they said, no, you, you don't understand. You, within this course, you've got about 12 books. Um, you, you need to make a book. And I listened and had conversations. And the next thing I know, um, a book is being published. So uh, it, was, it was a very, very fun process. If anybody out there is thinking about uh, publishing a book, I could tell you right now, it was very, very different than what I thought it was going to be. It was one of the more uh, enjoyable things I've ever done in my life. It was an absolute blast. Uh, but that's kind of the story of how it came to be. Oh, that's really good. And and when was it? When did that happen, Grant? Um, so the book launched um, at the end of 2019, last year. 
and uh, it took about six months for me to go through the process to take some of yeah. the content I had in the course and write it and put it in the book. And uh, the, the publisher was a great team of people. Uh, the book had more success than I, I imagined it would. It, it ended up being a number one bestseller in six different categories in Amazon. And I was uh, baffled. And uh, so it was, it, again, it, it made it a lot of fun working with that publisher and how easy it made it for me. And uh, it was very enjoyable. Did you say number one in six categories on Amazon? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool, huh? Didn't expect that, right? <laughs> no, I did not expect that at all. I, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, a couple of my friends and family might buy this thing, and maybe some of these <laughs> people where I speak at these events would buy it. But I had no idea it would it would do what it did. It was crazy. Oh, I love it. Well, there, there's such a, you know, I've heard, you know, this, this phrase, the war for talent, the war on talent. I've heard all these things where, you know, there's a huge, huge job shortage or, 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 you know, job openings today, right? We've got low unemployment and those things, but it's not just that it's, it's companies finding the right people, the right talent, the right fit. And it really isn't all about offering the most compensation, right? And that's one of the points that you're that you're making in the book. It's really, um, while we've been made to believe that money really is this huge motivator, you found some other things to be true. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be speaking on these stages and get off stage and people would ask me like, yeah, but what do you pay your team and, and how do you attract them? Like, I don't with money. You, you don't understand, money, money doesn't do it. And it wasn't just with me where that's true, doing the research, um, the students that graduate with the most sought after degrees, the people that have the most qualified resumes, I'm talking on studies from LinkedIn, studies from um, jobbing.com, studies from Harvard, all over the place are basically saying people will take up to a 30% pay cut if they work for a company that has an awesome culture. Uh, that's a big, big deal. And uh, the reality of what my team is, every single one of them would be able to get paid more if they did the exact same thing with another company. And they all know that um, mm. because they don't come to the office solely for money. Money's important. It's the number fourth most motivating thing out there. Uh, but what I reveal in the book is that there's three other things you have to focus on in your culture. That is uh, freedom. You got to give people a sense of autonomy. People want to be affirmed. They want to be masters of their craft and grow in their craft. And then they want to be a part of a team that's unified through a purpose where they get to do work that matters. And if you have those three things that you're motivating with, it attracts amazing talent and helps retain them. So I'm taking notes. and I just want to make sure that I'm following along. So um, you talked about what really builds and makes for a healthy culture is freedom. Uh, work and being affirmed and then doing work that matters. Would you mind maybe just diving in a little deeper into each of those three things, what you mean by that, maybe an example or two, um, give some takeaways for our audience to apply. Yeah, happy to. So um, the reality of the 40 hour work week and the traditional work environment that many of us and, and many management books say that you should have are, are very outdated. They were based on manufacturing society. And actually those work weeks weren't necessarily taking into consideration the human brain. They were taking into consideration manufacturing equipment. Um, so we need to do anything and everything that we can to give people a sense of freedom when they're working. If anybody who's on your team, if they at any point feel enslaved, 
if they feel like they don't have the freedom to do certain things, whether that's the freedom to take a break whenever they want, or whether that's the freedom uh, to act in a way that's going to serve customers above and beyond. You know, the freedom is important. And there are countless examples that I could give as it pertains to freedom, but one of them is that, that break time that I just mentioned. Look, I, I don't want uh, to babysit my employees who are adults and yeah. tell them when they can or can't use the restroom. Just take a break whenever you want. I don't care. The, the bottom <laughs> line is that they meet that unified purpose. You know, are you loving people through finances today or are you not? It's something I do at my office and people get hung up on this and it's not about this exact thing. You don't copy me, but it's, it's about the, the, the heart behind it. And that's giving people a sense of freedom. I don't have a vacation time. People can come and go as they please at my office. They can literally take as many days as they want and I don't care. And people wonder like, well, great, aren't people going to take advantage of that? Um, well, if they do take advantage of that, they're, they're not the right people for the team. So I made a mistake by hiring them. So that's a me problem anyways. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that ability for people to have the freedom to literally come and go as they please is a huge reason why people stay with my company. But another reason why when anytime I have a job posting, I'll get over 80 resumes and I can pick from the litter, you know, and, and figure out which one I really want because I give that big sense of freedom. Now, look, again, you don't have to copy what I do and give yeah. everybody a, a unlimited vacation and what doesn't work for everyone. What I'm saying is, evaluate your team, evaluate your company culture and say what micro and macro interactions are your team having that limit their freedom? And what can you do to give them back any sort of sense of autonomy? Because it's extremely motivating. And if people feel like they have that autonomy, that'd be a big deal. So that that's, um, around, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this. So and I really appreciate you You said a couple of times there, look, you know, you don't have to do it the way I do it, but this is just the principle at work here, this concept of freedom. So how does the supply, you mentioned, you know, a lot of our framework and the way we do things were because of a manufacturing background in society. So if I'm a, a business owner, CEO, listen to this conversation and my, you know, I'm in automotive repair, I'm in manufacturing, I'm in maybe where a lot of our workforces in the blue collar environment. Do these principles play there or are we talking just primarily in a professional environment where maybe salaried workers, what's your thoughts or experience around that? Yeah, they work everywhere uh, because these principles aren't just things that were taken from some of these studies. These principles are checked against God's word and how God has created us. He okay. put us in a world, Ray, where there's freedom. And it's one of the beautiful things about living. Now, freedom is a big, big deal to every single one of us inherently within us. God has given it to us because without freedom, there's no such thing as love. You can't love others. You can't make a huge impact. You can't sacrifice and do things that matter, make your life important without it. So don't steal it from people. And again, it's, it's the, the concept. You must give people the sense of freedom. It's not like, hey, you got to give everybody unlimited vacation time. They can take breaks whenever they want. That, that might yeah. not work for that manufacturing environment. But, but what, what does? You know, what are some things that will give people that sense of freedom? Maybe there you give people the opportunity to flex and pick their schedule. Uh, instead of working five days a week, you know, eight to five, you, you create an opportunity where they can do four days a week, right? You do four or ten. Uh, studies have shown over and over again from 
uh, companies like Microsoft to companies like Shake Shack that are winning with just giving people freedom and choosing portions of their schedule, you know? So it works everywhere and it works everywhere because that's how God made us. So would it be a healthy takeaway for someone listening to this to maybe sit down and evaluate either, either on their own or maybe with their team, like in these various areas of our company, in what ways can we provide freedom, create a sense of freedom? Is that the way they should go about it or, or am I missing the point? Yeah, I think you just do what Jesus did. You, you put yourself in the, the employee's shoes. Jesus came down to, to earth and put himself, God, in flesh and into the shoes of, of the human, right, of what yeah. it would be like here. And you just do the same thing. Uh, put yourself in the shoes of the employee and say, man, what, what experiences here make me feel enslaved? What experiences yeah. here make me uh, – are, are things I don't like? What could I do to adjust to make it give that sense of freedom? Sometimes even the smallest adjustments can be extremely powerful. But if you're really going to serve uh, people and you're going to serve your team, you got to put yourself in their shoes. I love it. I love it. Okay, so that's a little bit around the concept of freedom. Dive in a little deeper around affirmed. What, what do you mean by that? What does that look like? The number one thing clicked on uh, in the Internet is the Amazon reviews section. It doesn't matter if you're buying a mortgage or getting financial advice or buying a toothbrush. Everybody wants to know if what they're doing is the right thing. Again, it's how we're wired. God has created us for community. God is, that's why we, we appreciate the book of Proverbs so much. It affirms us if we're going to be doing things the right way or how to do things the right way. And uh, we were created to be affirmed and affirmed by others. We were created to receive wise advice and give wise advice. So, you need to, as a leader of your team, make sure you're affirming your team to let them know if they're doing things right. If somebody does something awesome, let them know. If they don't do something awesome, don't let them know, or let them know too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think people often see this. Oh, Grant's just affirming stuff. That means everything at his office is unicorns and rainbows and gumdrops. You know, all he does is say positive things. I do say a lot of positive things, but affirmation also has to do with negative affirmation. Why wait for a 90-day quarterly performance review to tell one of my employees if they're doing something wrong when I can tell them right on the spot, right when I notice it, you know? Guess what? Not only does that help me, but it helps the, the employee too because they're, they're, they, they want to win. They're, they're coming to work to do work that matters, and they're wanting to do well in their job. Uh, we want to be masters of a craft. That's why yeah. people randomly pick up, you know, uh, a hobby like playing the guitar and try to be really good at it. You know, and God has given us these amazing brains to want to grow in our knowledge and be good at things. Right? People will work at a coal mine for years and years and years. They'll have a terrible boss. They'll be literally siphoning their life away with every breath they take in that mine, but they won't quit because they're darn good at their job and they know it. You know, it's a big deal when you're really good at a job. And if you as a leader can let your team know that they're really good at a job, it's awesome. Here's, here's a challenging question that I would have for everybody who's leading a team listening to this. Does your best employee know that they're your best? And does your worst employee know that they're struggling? It's a big deal. I'm writing that down. If, if they don't know either of those, that your best employee doesn't know that they're the best, and your worst employee doesn't know that they're struggling, you're not affirming. And we need to have a culture where affirmation is something that happens every day, as many moments as possible, because there's countless ways of doing it, from high fives and hugs to words of affirmation, uh, 
but also to, to, to live scoreboards that show stats and data and information. So what I'm catching, I, I love this because, um, and let me just re repeat what I wrote here is do your best employees know that they're the best and do your struggling employees know where they need to improve? Did I catch that right? Oh yeah. You probably said it better than I did, honestly. <laughs> That's great. And, and so the, 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 I think that most, you know, at least myself and probably most listeners in this conversation would say, yeah, I get the front part of that about affirming people, telling them what they're doing well, but what you're, you're reminding us of is that part of affirmation is also helping struggling people know where they need to improve. Is that, is that right? 100%. Yep. Again, it's not all unicorn rainbows and gumdrops. Sometimes you got to give some negative affirmations, some course correction. And too often there are leaders that are scared to do that. I'm yeah. going to give you a real life example of, of how great affirmation is. Ray, are, are you married? I am for 32 years. Oh, wow. That's a beautiful thing. Congratulations. What's your wife's name? My wife's name is Beth. Beth. Does she ever listen to this podcast? Uh, when I make her. Okay, I'm going to ask you that you make her. <laughs> so she, um, she listens to a few of them. She's, um, but yes, she's not a huge business fan, but, but she listens to them on occasions just because she likes to learn too. Sounds like my wife. She won't listen to every episode unless I make her, right? So yep. I'm going to ask that uh, you make her listen to this because I'm going to say something to her directly. Beth, I've been on many podcasts as part of this book and as part of other things. Uh, I get to be interviewed with a lot of folks. And Beth, I just want you to hear that Ray is really good at his job. Mm. He's doing something important. Uh, he is creating something that genuinely encourages business owners. As another business owner who is in the target audience of this podcast, Beth, I can tell you the information he's trying to share and does share makes an impact on people. And as a person, like I said, who's been interviewed with others, Ray does this well. He's so good at his job. And I'm grateful for you, Beth, and supporting Ray and what he does, because without you, he's unable to do the things that he does. So thank you. Uh, oh, thanks. Thank you. That's really cool. That's really cool. Folks, I didn't pay for that, by the way. And so uh... <laughs> well, here, here, that, that's just a, a, an example of what we can do. As yeah. leaders. We should have a trigger in our mind that every time we see a member of family from somebody on our team, we take a beeline right to that person and we give some really great words of encouragement. That's so not good. Only, not only encouraging the person uh, that, that works on our team, but encouraging them for supporting them. That's a really, really big deal. Ray, my wife has no idea um, what I do and how I do it on, on the yeah. scale that I do, obviously. The same way that Beth doesn't know how well you do what you do. And why should yeah, she? That's right. Uh, right. Um, but how wonderful is it to, to have somebody tell her, to give her a little bit of insight? Um, oh, that's it's great. I mean, it's just a video podcast here, so I'm able to see you, but you smiled and you got red in your face. Um, God has created us to want to receive those affirmations. And I think you smiled because you know that it was genuine. I'm not yeah. making this stuff up here. Um, so, yeah. That's good stuff. That is great stuff. So one more time, Grant, um, if someone wants to uh, follow you, get connected, learn more, what's the best way for our audience to, uh, to get with you? I'm very active on Instagram. And if you don't have an Instagram account, make one. It's super easy. Uh, but uh, my Instagram handle is my name, Grant Botma, no spaces, Grant Botma. And uh, there I'm posting almost every day. And I'm doing a, an Instagram story 
uh, every day where I talk about finances, where I talk about business and leadership, and sometimes I even talk about parenting. So uh, if you're interested in that, go ahead and go over there and follow me. Um, I, uh, it's very, very uh, hard to follow me without seeing that I love Jesus and uh, <laughs> I wear my relationship with Christ on my sleeve and my hope is that you'd be encouraged and, and at least half uh, the way that, that you're encouraged by this podcast and Ray. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Grant, I, I often say this is like the fastest 30, 35 minutes on the airways and it's amazing. We're, we're transitioning in kind of the last section. I, uh, the last kind of area that I love to cover in, in these conversations, I, I really consider this as advice and insights. And so um, I'd really love it if you would maybe um, think about this, you know, what's the uh, biggest mistake that you can recall making in business and how did your faith um, play a role in that or maybe the biggest failure and how did your faith get you through that? What was that like? Yeah, so I detail this in the book, but my biggest mistake I made as a business owner is not being slightly overstaffed. I think too often we're told to be slightly understaffed, but then we're also told to go get more business and go, go, go and grow, grow, grow. And then when it does grow, uh-oh, and I did that and made that mistake twice and it hurt and it made it so that I was sleeping at the office all too often and uh, wasn't at home to see my babies grow the way that I wanted to. And that required me to make some changes. And one of those changes was to, to really dive deep into what having a great company culture was so that I could have a team of people that I could trust to be self-directed and be extensions of what I was trying to do so that we could love even more people through finances. That is so good. And I have to say, um, 150, 160 of these conversations, I'm not saying this hasn't been said before, but it's the first time I can remember someone saying the importance of being slightly overstaffed. And I, I know this about you. You take two months a year away from your business. Is that not correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, as we started in the podcast, uh, Arizona is a beautiful place, especially in the spring and March. So I'm a couple weeks away now from spring training games with my family and very, very part-time, if no work at all. So I'm very, very excited about that. So what's the value of that? Because I know there's right now some of our listeners that are like, there's smoke coming out of their ears. And what do you mean you take two? How can you do that? And then what's the value to the business? And what is the value to you as a husband and a father and a leader to, to have built the kind of company that you can do that? What, what's that? What's that like? You know, there are seasons. Um, there are seasons where I've got to rise and grind and work, work, work and go like crazy. I don't believe it should be the norm. God didn't create us for that. And uh, that's not why I created my business. I created my business to love people through finances. And if I burn myself out, I'll be done. Uh, Ray, I'm, if I'm honest with you, I'm at the end of a busy season right now. I'm about burnt out and I'm ready for that month off. And uh, so taking that time off allows me to come back rejuvenated and really ready to go. But at the same time, from a business perspective, it allows me to step back from the office and work on some gigantic 30,000 foot view projects and just mapping out some things in my own kind of free time. Because the truth is, I'll probably never 100% disengage from work. So I just like it and it's fun. Um, yeah. but I'm going to be intentional with it. And uh, taking that time is instrumental to our business to grow and go in the directions that, that we need to be, be going. Uh, but uh, man, my primary ministry is to love my, my wife and to love my children well. And uh, taking this extra month of intentional time with them is going to be fun. My kids are old enough now 
11, 9, and 7. And, uh, and as I mentioned, we homeschool our kids. So I'm going to be taking them through some, uh, hopefully some fun economic things over this next month. And daddy's going to get to be their teacher. And yeah. That's going to be a blast. So they'll never forget that. You know, my, they won't remember everything I said. But uh, <laughs> my, my, my hope is that they'll remember daddy loves them. And, oh, as crazy as my 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 upbringing is with 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 you know my pain my the struggles that my parents have look we've all had struggles but there's one thing that i never ever doubt my dad loves me oh he loves me and my mom loves me like crazy and despite you know again life happening um they they love me and and that uh, that was a big deal in creating my own personal relationship with you yeah yeah uh, thank you for sharing that that's so powerful and so um do you have time for maybe just two more questions? Is that okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that, that last part that you were just uh, sharing, I think, is a great segue. If you could go back and sit across the table from the 20-year-old Grant, and if that 20-year-old Grant would listen to today's version of you, what advice would you give to the 20-year-old Grant Botna? Um, that advice uh, would be um you are prideful <laughs> you are prideful you better watch out uh you know when i was younger my grandpa told me he's like grant you got to find people with gray hair and wrinkly skin and just ask them questions and uh be ready to ask them all kinds of questions because you can learn a lot and i did that and i did that really really well especially when i got into college but as a 20 year old i think there were some opportunities that I didn't take advantage of when I was 18, 19, 20, of growing in knowledge because of some wise people that were around me, because it wasn't intentional with some of those questions. It wasn't intentional in seeking out those people uh, that, that, as my grandfather said, had, had gray hair and wrinkly skin. So uh, that, was, that was something that I had said to the 20-year-old self, hopefully it'd, it'd grow in my knowledge. That is so powerful. And, and in fact, I'll just share this real quick before I ask my last questions. Uh, not long ago, I was having lunch with a dear friend of mine and he asked me, he says, Ray, you've been doing this podcast now for like, you know, almost three years done over 150 interviews and so forth. What has been the value of you doing this podcast? What have you learned from it? And, you know, I, I thought for a moment, Grant, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily specific principles that I had learned from a guest or two. I mean, all those things build up and you look for themes, but the thing that I, came back to was hosting this podcast more than anything has taught me the value and the importance of insatiable, I've called it this, insatiable curiosity. You know, having grown up in business, classical, you know, business, business school training, then in sales and business development, I have been trained and I know how to ask questions to get a desired outcome, to take a prospect or a customer down a, down a journey to get them to a point of making a decision. I know how to do that. You're good. Um, at it. You're good at it. <laughs> well, what, thank you. But what the podcast has taught me is the value and power in asking questions for the sake of listening and seeing where the conversation may go, not trying to direct the conversation. And so as I listen to your answer about the power and the importance of just sitting down with people and asking intentional questions, it's a gold mine. It's where the greatest learning occurs. And so just hearing you respond in the way you did just reminded me of what I have learned 
more than anything else hosting this program. I know you host a podcast. Do you find that to be the case for you as well? Oh, 100%. Ray, I, I, again, I grew up on a, a farm, middle of seven kids. I kicked cow patties for fun. I'm not super smart, okay? There isn't a whole lot about me that's crazy intention, uh, in, intelligent. You know, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't, uh, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. Like, uh, I graduated high schools, you know, with, with decent grades. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy intelligent. Uh, most of the uh, wisdom that I've received has been from God's word or God through other people. That's the bottom line. And if it hasn't been for my grandpa who didn't tell me and urge me, yeah. that, hey, yes, ask people questions, be ready. And, I'm, and I had some formal mentorships, which were great. But I think that in our society right now, formal mentorships are, are really hard to execute consistently. So, so maybe we don't have to have them. Maybe we can just have these very intentional questions listed out, memorized, written down, so that if you find yourself in a car with somebody that you can ask a question, say, hey, what was the hardest thing you ever did as a parent? Hey, what was the biggest win you had in business and why? How did you start this thing or how did you fail in this thing? Whatever that is. And just listen. Because as I, and this is another thing that I say in my book, a lot of leaders are visionaries. But the good leaders, they're listeners. They can <laughs> listen and they can listen well. I love that. The best leaders are listeners. Yeah. Again, that's, that's my uh, that's my farm education coming out. That's not poor, proper grammar, but hey, I'll go with it. That's the best there is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant, the last question. Our regular listeners know that this is always the last question we ask your bottom line faith, and I really base this out of Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty three, where Solomon writes these words. He says, "Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life." So, Grant, what I'd like you to do is just as we end our conversation today, I want you to pass along the one piece of advice that you want to leave with our listeners. So just kind of fill in the blank for us. Above all else. Wow. Um, man, I think I'm going to have to, to go with a little context here. That, that chapter of Proverbs is one of the most, I think, uh, emotionally charged chapters in the entire Bible. He is pleading and urging with us, giving us, saying, hey, listen to me, listen to me, listen, listen to these words, listen to these words, listen to these, take these instructions. And I think the context behind guard your heart is this, watch out for your feelings. So above all else, watch out for your feelings. Look, I'm a sinner that needs Jesus. And there are many times I show up to work and don't feel like making it worship. There are many times I don't feel like sacrificing and putting somebody else's needs ahead of my own to make sure that they get loved through finances. There are many times I don't feel like posting on social media on that day, but I know I need to do it because it can be encouraging and helpful to other people. Look, I'll be honest, I'm a, a little under the weather in today's podcast, and I didn't necessarily feel like it, but I didn't listen to my feelings. Above all else, I just acted on it. And now I am so glad I had an opportunity to have a conversation with you, Greg. Had an opportunity to be used by the Lord to encourage your listeners. And I'm grateful for this time. So above all else, I'd say don't listen to your feelings. Amen. Maybe it might be a good diet tip too, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, At least for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Grant, I, I just want to tell you, first of all, thank you for not submitting to your feelings, but really holding true to what you believe God was calling you to do. This has been an incredibly, incredibly valuable conversation. I know many are going to be encouraged. Many are going to be blessed. 
I want to encourage our listeners, check out Grant at his Instagram, which is at Grant Botma. Um, as he said, he's got uh, regular postings coming out, helping us to be, be stewards of all that God has entrusted us, our time, talent, and treasure. Grant, thank you. Thank you. And folks, check out his book on Amazon, different places. The problem isn't their paycheck, how to attract top talent and build a thriving company culture. Hey, Grant, thanks so much for being our guest today. Ray, genuinely, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, meant those words that I said to Beth. Hopefully she's encouraged by them. Uh, I've been on a lot of podcasts. This was not only fun, but it was impactful. I can tell that uh, you're doing a great job in meeting your mission of trying to encourage people uh, that are in this space. I feel encouraged. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you, man. That's very kind of you. Well, folks, wow, what a powerful conversation with our friend from Gilbert, Arizona, Grant Botma, founder and CEO of Stewardship. And, you know, it's really the, the conversation that we had with Grant today is what we're all about here at Bottom Line Faith. Grant brought, brought to us biblical principles, truths, and not only the principles and the truths, but practicality of how those things are lived out on a daily basis in his life and in his company. As I said in the opening comments, you know, our tagline here at Bottom Line Faith is eternal business, real life. We are bringing those biblical principles, but how do we live them out on a daily basis in the marketplace? What a great illustration uh, Grant is, and we're so grateful that the Lord brought him to the program today. Listen, we get asked here a lot, thousands of listeners to the program, we get asked a lot, hey, how can we help? How can we come alongside the ministry and the program at Bottom Line Faith First and foremost, just continue to pray that God would use this program to equip and encourage godly leaders just like you. Pray that God would continue to bring us incredible guests like Grant on today's program. And then you can share it out on your social media across, you know, whether you're on Instagram or whether you're on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook, or whatever, but help us get the word out. We are seeing, even on an international basis, we're getting inquiries on a regular basis and people appreciating how much the program is meant to them. So that's how you can help us at Bottom Line Faith. So until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith every day at work. God bless. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 